You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Today marks the halfway point in our series that we're looking at this New Testament book of Ephesians. And uh, so there's six chapters in the book, and uh, today we're, we're halfway through. It's our third, third one. Now, so far we've learned a few things about Ephesians. One, Ephesians has two basic themes in it. There's six chapters. The first three chapters talk about our identity in Christ, wh- who we are in Christ. What does that mean to be in Christ? The second three chapters talk about, all right, if you're in Christ, what does that mean? How do you live that out? And what does it mean to actually be in Christ in a practical way? <clears throat> Another thing we've learned is that Ephesians Paul, is very different than Paul's other letters, but the letter was not written as a critique of their behavior. Some of his other letters, he says, hey, you guys over here, stop doing that. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. He's not talking like that in this particular letter. What he's, he's, so he's not trying to change their behavior per se. What he, what he is trying to do is encourage them to hold fast, to hold fast to the values that, are, that belong to those who are in Christ Jesus. We learned that the identity in Christ doesn't depend on who you are or what you do. Your identity in Christ depends entirely on what God has done and who he says you are. That's your identity. Last week, we learned that we talked about two different prayers of Paul, uh, where he, he wasn't actually praying for them, but he was telling them how he prayed for them. And I love in, in uh, chapter 3, there's part of the prayer. And he says, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul was saying here, I want you to know Jesus just like I know Jesus. And that's the tone of the letter um, to this point in time. And, and today we're going to look at this idea that our identity in Christ is based not on our own efforts, but rather our identity in Christ is based on the work of God on our behalf. So if uh, you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow along the screen, we're going to be reading a section out of Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I'm thankful, Father, uh, 
Lord, for Paul's writings. Over 2,000 years ago, as he put um, pen to paper, so to speak, Lord, and writing thoughts into this group that they still live and they provide life and they provide hope for us this day. So God, I ask as we dig a little deeper into this passage, help us to see, to hear, to understand what we need. Holy Spirit, um, move in our hearts as you see fit this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I remember the, the first time I traveled um, internationally. This was uh, between my junior and senior years of college. And I was talking with a friend about just some of my concerns about this, my travel. I'd, I'd been on domestic flights within the U.S., but I'd never flown internationally before. And um, so I'm you know, talking, and, and the travel time from you know, point A to point B was a little over 30 hours. You know, so it was an extensive uh, travel time. And I knew that the snacks that they served on flights wasn't going to be enough to last for 30 hours. So I'm it's like, well, what kind of food do I bring? You know, how do I prepare? What would be a good to bring with me on, on that? And <clears throat> you don't need to worry about that. On international flights, they feed you. They bring you meals and there's snacks in between and you don't have to. And I'm like, really? That's, that's good. I don't have to worry about it. So, okay, so that, that's really good to know. Um, and I said, but they also have this concern about boarding passes because I've got connections to make. So it's not just nonstop. I've got connections and, you know, how's that going to work? Do I have to, you know, get off the plane, find my way back to the gate and get a new boarding pass or how is that going to work? And he's like, no, no, no. So it's, once you check in at the first place, they give you all the boarding passes you need for every stop along the way. All you, as soon as you get off the plane, you know, get off one plane, you go out and then outside the, the, your gate area, there'll be a monitor, find your next flight, and it'll tell you what gate to go to. Go to that gate, you already have your boarding pass to get on that plane. I'm like, fantastic. You know, I'm like, how am I going to, because some of the layoffs were, you know, layovers were close. It's like, how am I going to get all the way back? you know, and come through. And this was before all the security stuff. So I really wasn't worried about getting through security checks um, at that point in time. But, but yes, yeah, so, okay, so that's taken care of. So I'm like, all right, good. I can, I can handle that. My biggest concern, though, was luggage. All right, I know I don't have to go get my boarding pass, but <clears throat> I got to get off the plane, go get my luggage, go back upstairs, recheck it in again for my next flight, and then get to the next gate again. You know, so at least I don't have to worry about my boarding passes. So that was good. But I still, and this was before, you know, l- all the luggage had wheels. You know, so I'm having to carry all this stuff. And, <clears throat> you know, would I have enough time? And just, oh, that was just going to be a hassle. And, you know, and it's just, I was, you know, how do that work? And, and my friend says, no, you don't need to worry about that either. He said, when you check in the first time, not only do they give you the boarding passes, but they tag your luggage so that it goes to your final destination, it, they, the airline will actually make the switch for you. So that you'll get to one place, they'll take it off the plane, read the tag, and put it on the right plane to get it to the next place. You don't need to worry about your luggage until you get to your final destination. So once I check in, everything's taken care of. It's all done. I don't have to worry about food. I don't have to worry about... My boarding pass, I don't worry about luggage. No, everything is taken care of. Once you check in, the airline takes care of everything for you. And I remember thinking like, holy smokes, that is so cool. You know, what a relief. I was like, I was really getting stressed out. And, you know, all these things, all this, 
I, had to do all, I was thinking I had to do all this work to try to get myself there in, in addition to just being on the plane. And in fact, the whole time, the airlines did all the work for me. What I've discovered is that my confusion about airlines, I think is, has some similarities to a lot of people's confusion about God. Throughout history, people have struggled to know how best to appease God and win his favor. In ancient times, they'd offer sacrifices, even human sacrifices, and somehow this would make God happy. And later on, you know, most cultures moved away from that, but there's still people believe that if they did the right behavior, if they did the right things, then all would be well. And so they spent um, their lives trying to figure out what does that look like and how do we make sure God's happy. Yet no matter how hard we tried, there was always this lingering sense that we were falling short. We can never really measure up. This is, this is the predominant feeling in all cultures. <clears throat> Humanity had a sin problem. And it couldn't solve it. We had no solution. God chose to intervene and he made a way so that our sin could be forgiven. And we could be restored to right relationship with him. <clears throat> and that's what Paul's telling us in his letter to the Christ followers in the city of Ephesus. Your salvation depends on what Christ has done for you, not what you have done for him. It's not your work for God that saves you, but God's work for you that saves you. This idea of work is is a predominant theme in the passage we just read. Four times this idea of work is mentioned. And, uh, he identifies four different works in the life of the Christ follower. So we're going to take a look at those. What, um, what the, or let's take a closer look at what those works are. The first work that we see is sin works against us. Verse 1 says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's not a literal case. They weren't physically dead. It's a figure of speech. It's like uh, someone who's upset. You've seen this in movies where someone's upset because someone's behavior, and so they say, well, he's dead to me. And he's not really dead. It's just that he's not a part of my life. He's done, it's as if he doesn't exist because I don't know him. I don't want to. And so you have that idea. That's what Paul's referencing here. Part of Paul's idea here, and this is significant, as Paul's writing, that we have to realize that the death and resurrection of Jesus was the turning point in all of human history. For Paul, this was the moment. All of human history up to that point, well, all of human history led up to that point, and then the death and resurrection of Jesus, everything shifted. For the, and so, to be in Christ was life. To be outside of Christ was death. Everything hinged on that whole idea. In verse 2, we see this him using the term, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Ruler, in other times in Ephesians, is, he uses, sometimes Paul uses the word devil or evil one. And this idea of the kingdom of the air, in that day and age, the idea of, of all the spiritual realities, spiritual forces were in the heavenlies, would be another way to phrase it. So that's kind of where they occupied. That's where they lived. And so the idea that the ruler of the kingdom of air, of the air, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. And then further on verse 2, he says, the spirit who is now at work. So there's the spirit at work 
against us. And I, I'm not going to dig into this too far, but here, here's what's significant. What Paul is saying is that there's an intentional effort against us, that Satan has an intentional effort to destroy us and to work against us. There's an intentional effort to keep people from Christ. And then also in verse 3, we were by nature objects of wrath. Our sinful nature made us deserving of God's wrath and judgment. It's important to note that Paul isn't speaking about specific sinful actions that make us worthy of God's wrath. He's not talking about specific behaviors. He's, he, he's basically saying that our very nature is sinful and evil. Throughout history, humanity has been marked by disobedience and failure, which demonstrate that something is wrong at the very core of our being. The picture of the spiritual condition of the person outside of Christ isn't pretty. As Paul talks about, and he's describing them, this person is spiritually dead in their sin. They're disobedient. They choose to follow their own path instead of God's. Their pursuit of self-gratification. How do they make themselves happy? How do they please themselves? Seeking to fulfill the cravings of their own sinful nature instead of pursuing what God wants and has for them. And because of our sinful nature, we are separated from God and doomed to an eternity apart from Him. You know, there's this idea that everyone goes to heaven unless you're bad. That's kind of the predominant thought in our culture this day. The idea that why would God send anyone to hell is kind of offensive. So that what, 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 their, what their thought is is that everyone is supposed to go to heaven unless you're really bad. But the truth of the matter is that heaven is not the default for any of us. All of us are destined for hell. The central part of Christian belief is that everyone, everyone, all of us are destined for hell. Everyone. Hell is the default. Unless we accept the gift of salvation given to us. We have a way out, or God has given us a way out. And that leads me to the second work that we see Paul talking about here in this passage. God's work for us. Verse 4 says that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Because of God's great love for us, he would not leave us alone to face the destructive power of sin. He came to our rescue by opening the way to salvation. Listen, if all of us are worthy of, of, of are, are guilty and what are, are, uh, we've fallen short of God and we've sinned and there's, there's this gap between us, then the, re- proper, the proper response from God, the just response from God would be judgment. That's what we deserve. That's what we would be, should get received. But instead, so, you know, although we deserve judgment, instead we receive mercy. Our efforts to earn salvation fall short, but instead, God gives us grace. Even though I bought my airline ticket, I thought I still had work to do during my travel. 
The fact was, once I checked my luggage, all I needed to do was get on the plane. In Jesus, God has done all the work necessary for our salvation. He has done all the work for us. We just need to surrender ourselves to him. We just need to surrender our lives to him. And that leads me to the third work that we see in this section. God's work in us. Verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship. What word comes to mind when you hear the the term workmanship? That's an open question, so you can feedback. I'm sorry? Quality. Okay, good. Workmanship. What would be another word? Masterpiece. Someone said something. Detail. Is that what I heard? Okay. Okay. Anyone on this side have any thoughts? (laughs) Craftsmanship. Okay. Actually, uh, all good words. But that's actually the same word that came to my mind. It's craftsmanship. This idea of workmanship, you've got a craftsman who are craftsperson would be more correct. But you've got someone who's given intentionality and effort to this. Have you ever watched a craftsperson at work? Sometimes you go to these places and you watch them, the, the glass blowing or the woodworking, and it's just fascinating for me to watch how they do that. Uh, I know Jan uh, Puzuto, I don't know if it's been a recent thing, but one of his hobbies is, uh, I don't know what do you call it, wood, wood turner. Turning, and so you, you take a chunk of wood, but by putting it on, um, thank you. <laughs> 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 so, all right, what am I thinking now? Uh, <laughs> but but you, some of you have seen the same. Uh, I, I, I find myself watching these on YouTube now. Just like, oh, that's like, here's this chunk. And with this lathe and the chisels and the way they can position it. And they've got some amazing um, pieces of art and some bowls and different things that are just, to me are just amazing. And uh, what's significant is that I look at this chunk of wood and say, yeah, it's a chunk of wood. A true craftsman looks at that and they see a finished product. They see a bowl. They see a vase. They, they see something of beauty or something of significance and value and purpose. And I'm ready to throw it in the trash because it's worthless. A good craftsman doesn't see what is. A good craftsman sees what can be. God is not just a good craftsman. He's the master craftsman. When God looks at you, when he looks at me, he's not blind to our imperfections. It's not like he doesn't see them or ignores them. He knows they're there. He knows our faults and failures. He even knows the things that we're not even maybe even aware of yet. And it just doesn't matter. He chooses each one of us anyway. He sees not who we are, but who, will be, who, who we will become. And here's the good news. God is committed to who he created us to be. He continues to restore and refine our lives. We are a work in process. <clears throat> you know, there was a couple times in my life where I found myself, um, where I'd feeling as if I'd been abandoned by God. The bottom had fallen out, and I had no idea which way to, to move forward. And 
literally. And I know in some of our conversations with you, I know that some of you felt the same way where it's, it's, not, you, 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 it's not that you don't believe in God, but just where is he? Why don't I see him now in this situation, my circumstance? What happened? What's going on? And what kept me going in those times was the knowledge that God hadn't brought me to this point in my life just to say, huh, that was a good run. Good luck with that. You're on your own. He's invested many years of work in my life up to that point. He wasn't just, okay, I'm done. He's promised and he continues to work in my life every day. And that's really, I find encouraging. If, and I, so I, I, did, I came to the point where I realized if God could find David in the middle of nowhere. Remember, David, God, God knew he, who David was supposed to be the next king, but David was out hiding, not hiding, he's tending sheep out in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. That part of Israel, that part of that terrain was just desolate, desolate area. Um, and when Samuel came to Sarah, I need, uh, one of your sons is going to be the next king. What did Samuel's, or what did David's dad actually, he did, what did he do? He brought in all of David's brothers, but intentionally he didn't bring in David. He brought in everyone but David and had no intention of bringing him in. But God knew where David was and Samuel says, all right, there's got to be another one. Well, yeah, there's the youngest, the one who doesn't matter. All right, we're going to wait. And then goes and get David and David. If God could know where David was and God could find David, I had no doubt that he knew where I was and could find me and I just needed to relax. Spiritually, I just needed to, it doesn't mean I just, or just went to bed and watched TV or something, but, but it just meant that I, my heart could be at peace. My heart could be at peace. And I think that's what's so significant about this walk of faith is that quite often it's not about our circumstances being any easier or any better or everything's the great, but it's just the fact that in the midst of all that, we have peace. We have hope. We have expectation. We have God walking with us. Lastly, Paul talks about God's work through us. And we see this in Ephesians uh, in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. As much as God loves you, it's not just about you. You and I, here's a, you and I are part of his redemptive plan. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's like being invited to play in the varsity team when you're like back on the middle school team, you know. I mean, that's huge. God's redemptive plan for humanity involves us. I just find that so exciting and so encouraging. See, it's human nature to think that we need to add something to what God has done. It is. It's just human nature. It helps us to feel better about ourselves if we think we've earned something. We're not a charity case or that somehow we've earned it or that we deserve it. But that's not how it works. God has done all that it is needed for our salvation. All we have to do is get on the plane. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this passage is, is a little different in, in some ways because of the theology that's there and 
where Paul is talking about some kind of some big conceptual issues and challenges. But at its core, what Paul is talking about is the fact that you have done everything that needs to be done for our salvation. God, we don't have to earn it. There's nothing I can do right now that would cause you to love me any more than you do right now. Lord, in the same way, there's nothing I could do that would cause you to love me any less than you love me right now. Lord, my prayer is that if there's any here who is this morning who are struggling with accepting your love, that they would receive that. Maybe just, maybe just a, a little bit. Maybe they have a hard time of just throwing caution to the wind and surrendering completely, but maybe it's a single step. God, may we be open to the love and to receive the love that you've given and shown us in such significant ways. And Father, my prayer also is that for those of us who have received and accepted your love and accepted your grace, uh, but God, sometimes we struggle with just not feeling like we live up to that where we should be. And Father, we all do. We all have those times in life where we just don't feel like we measure up. Father, there again, I know that you're always wanting us to grow and you're wanting us to become more like Christ, but Father, help us to, um, to be at peace with who we are and where we're at. Lord, we, it's not that we give up. It's not that we're not going to stop trying, but we're going to stop being our own judge. You're not judging us, so we don't need to judge ourselves in that regard either. Father, I just, I just have this sense that there's some here today who are just having a hard time accepting you for who you are, um, thereby just having a hard time accepting themselves. And so, Father, regardless of what our experience was with our own earthly father, may this day change the way we look at our heavenly father. Just one step. Just one step. God, I'm so very grateful for what you do in all of us and that you don't leave us where you find us, but you continually work in us and shape us. And sometimes that process isn't easy. Sometimes it's actually quite painful. But Lord, you never abandon us. You never forsake us. You never leave us. You're with us the entire way. So Father, with that hope and with that expectation, Lord, We surrender our lives to you. And we ask, Lord God, for you to work in us as you desire. Lord, conform us, shape us into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, that we would be a people that you could use for your kingdom purposes here on earth. We're not perfect, but that doesn't surprise you. That doesn't uh, cause you any problems. Lord, you will do what you do anyway. So we thank you for that, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would encourage you this morning if um, as I was praying, I was reminded actually of our, our life group met last night and we spent an awful lot of time talking about our ability to receive God's love. To, actually, we started talking about what does it mean to love God, but then what does it mean to receive love God's love? What was interesting though within that group, how many of them struggle with that whole idea because of their own father's issues growing up. And they were all over the map as far as just what some people experienced. 
what, what really came to me was the fact that it, sometimes we, one woman in particular, she said, I can't trust because of all this stuff. I, 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 I keep God here. And so I realized at that moment, there was probably no, unless there was a divine work of the Holy Spirit, there was nothing that was going to change her and say, all right, I'm just, I'm in. You know, there was, it was going to probably be more of a gradual process for her. And my encouragement to the group was, uh, you know what? We just need to, right? God, what, what does it mean to today? So God, today, what is it? What do you, how can I love you? God, how can, you, how can I accept your love for me today? You don't need to worry about what the bigger picture is or what this, what does today look like? So my first encouragement to you, if you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that today. Begin there. And if you're struggling with what this looks like for you as you continue to follow him, don't worry about next week, next month, next year. Just today. Our walk with Jesus is a day-by-day walk of faith. None of us have it figured out. Those of us who look like we do are probably sometimes the most confused. We've just learned to fake it really well. It's a day-by-day thing. And that's okay. Because it gives God opportunity to, to do things in us that he wouldn't otherwise do. So surrender your heart to Jesus and surrender to the work that God has already done in your life. Just get on the plane. Enjoy the flight. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.